0: Welcome back to the Monica Matthew Show, Life, Love, and Liberty. Hey, guys. Another day in paradise, right? I got to tell you, I am uh, a little dismayed. was on Twitter this morning and said, Hey, I have a very special guest coming on with me today who is uh, who has a, 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 a very important role uh, in where the country has been, where the country's headed with regard to immigration. And I ask you guys to express your comments, questions, concerns. And, and as usual, you guys give me a very clear indicator of the barometer of the country. And I saw a lot of apathy and I get it. I really do. I get it because my, you know, my, my response to that, my, 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 my comment to you guys was, Hey, are you feeling like I am? Like, what difference does policy or law or anything make in the country at this point? Because we're watching our borders, uh, overrun, effectively invaded. We're watching our school, your department of justice has now been weaponized and weaponizing other agencies against parents, for God's sakes, who have an opinion, who have concerns regarding their own children. There's, there's like a suspension of law in the land. Right. And something we're always talking about on my show is to guard your heart regarding the lawlessness that's coming because it hardens your heart. And the barometer I saw today is extremely um, concerning to me. Because as an American citizen, as someone who values government, godly government, as someone who values uh, law, right, and policymakers' thoughtfulness with regard to creating and shaping policy that affects our laws of this land, it concerns me that you guys are falling prey to a very real spiritual war with regard to um, lulling you back into a place of defeat. And we're not defeated. We just came out of four years of victory with President Trump. And and that wasn't just because of President Trump. It was because of God, who I believe, blessed us with a president who put this country and her sovereignty and her policies and laws and people and prosperity and opportunity and equality and all those things first, Right? I mean, that's, that's God's mindset toward us. It's really His mindset toward all people. But thankfully, He hears our prayers. He blessed us with a president who did put America first, who continues to put America first. And, and there's an institute that you may not be very familiar with. It's called the America First Policy Institute. And I wanted to bring someone on today who is at the forefront of immigration, of who understands immigration inside and out, who was an advisor to one of the top advisors to President Trump and his administration with regard to immigration and other issues. And I wanted to bring him on today because I feel like, and I was right, and thank you, Holy Spirit, you guys are, are falling prey to not only the spiritual operation to take you down. But the psychological operation in that geopolitical psyop war space that's being waged against us as Americans to lull us back into a place of complacency, a place of capitulation, a place of surrender, right? And you guys know me. I love Sir Winston Churchill. And we never surrender. Surrender is not an option. So I wanted to bring on with me today John Zdrozny. Director for Center for Homeland Security and Immigration with the America First Policy Institute, because I'm hoping he's going to give us facts and data and wisdom and knowledge. And above all, he's going to give us a reason to hope. John, welcome to my show.
1: Hey, Monica, thank you so much for having me on your show.
0: Of course. Thanks for making the time to join us. And and I want you to tell us a little bit about uh, the America First Policy Institute, like I said, I don't think a lot of people are familiar with exactly what the policy, what the Institute does, what's important to the Institute. I think it, st- it begins and ends kind of with President Trump in the forefront of everyone's minds, which is fine. But there are hardworking people like yourself who go to work every day on behalf of the sovereignty of this nation and those priorities. And so I wanted you to tell us a little bit about that and also yourself.
1: Absolutely. So, uh, as you said, Monica, I work for the America First Policy Institute. That's uh, AmericaFirstPolicy.com. And I am the director of the Center for Homeland Security and Immigration. Uh, I have the privilege of working on these issues, um, which I also worked on in the administration in several different capacities, including at the White House. Um, and I think our perspective of being there on the ground in the White House, dealing with the insanity of the bureaucracy, federal agencies, people in the field, and so on, Gives us a unique perspective about how to how to keep talking about what we think worked, and and to juxtapose it against what clearly isn't working, which is what the current administration is doing. Um, We're a five hundred one c three, and so we're we're trying to approach this as objectively as possible. But I think um, it's very hard to look at the very sharp contrast between what was before and what is now, and not see a clear path to what works and what doesn't. Um, You know, you mentioned the border a little bit earlier, and I'll tell you it's. One thing I would encourage your audience to understand and appreciate, which they probably already do, is that none of this is is accidental or incompetence. I think there's the you know, the inner decency of every American likes to give the people in charge of things the benefit of the doubt. Sure. They think, well, they're just not doing this well. They don't know what they're doing. I think it's important for everyone to understand the left knows exactly what it's doing. Marxists don't make a mistake. They don't accidentally do something. They don't accidentally throw open a border the way they have. Um, this is a design that has been in place in in the left playbook for a really long time. Um, We saw it in a different form, but we still saw it during the Obama years, Uh, but we're seeing it in a full throated frightening way now in the, the Biden administration. Um, And uh, you know, I wish I, I I can, there's a lot to talk about in this space. The the main thing I would say though, is that um, the left needs this influx. So so, like, if you are tempted to say, gosh, they're just not good at this. or I can't believe they're making these mistakes. Um, I would encourage your audience to just remember that this is intentional. And if, if you're asking why, yeah,
0: why? Why is I that? have a theory, and, and and I want you to tell us the theory. And I think it's very important because you're right. I see people all day long, John, say the incompetence of this administration. I'm like, no, 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 no. There, there's no such thing as incompetency when it comes to this. So what is it? Is it for votes? Is it? Yeah, tell us what. It, what is what is behind this?
1: I mean, in a sentence, Monica, it is, this is all about amnesty. The left is trying to let in as many foreign nationalists as they can from certain parts of the world to create a critical mass of people who are here just in time for what they would like to do, which is provide amnesty for illegal aliens and other people who are here waiting for asylum and so on. And you can see that this year, I mean, heck, in the last nine months alone, um, we're talking hundreds of thousands of people have come into the country sure. with, with nary an effort to prevent that. And that's projected if it continues a pace for the rest of a four year term to be in, the, the you know, the vicinity of millions of people. Um, and that's not even including, by the way, um, the already present illegal population, which is probably more like 20 to 30 million, plus any other random events that drive um, an influx, like, for example, the, the disastrous uh, Afghanistan withdrawal, which then gave the Biden administration the excuse to import 100,000 unvetted Afghans um, a few weeks ago.
0: Um,
1: What I would say is, I think if you're asking why amnesty, why is this so important to the left, I really think it comes down to what's been happening over the last 50 years. So it turns out when you spend 50 years aborting Americans in the womb, you're short about 60 million voters. And Mm. the only way you can really overcome that, you've got two choices. You can change your, pol- your party's policies to appeal to the people who are your bosses, or you can go find new voters. Right. The left has chosen the latter. Okay. They have gone abroad in search of their new base, right. and um, you know, they, they do a lot of other things, too, I think, in that space. If you, know, if you think about it in terms of just abortion, that's a lot of people who aren't alive who would be here, and they have to go find those millions to make up for it. But I think it, you see this in other areas, Monica. Like, for example, what we witness in our school system is an attempt to overcome the, the lack of growth on the left side of the aisle, so to speak. Okay. Um, you know, they don't have to have children if they just take yours. Right. <laughs> and so um, it's, it's all kind of gels together into a broader, terrifying view of they no longer work for you. They don't have to work for you. They could just go around you and find the people they need to sustain their majority. And if anything, to me, that just tells me that the left is on borrowed time. and You know, you mentioned being positive. I've got some positives for your audience. Um, I, I
0: yeah.
1: I like to think of things in terms of silver linings, Monica. Sure. I see a real silver lining here um, in the sense that the left is on the verge of demographic collapse, um, and they know it. They're loud. They're shrill. You know, they're in your right. face. Right. They're not like our people. But that's a sign of desperation. I do not think they're anything even close to a majority in this country. Right. And I think it's really just a matter of holding tight for a little longer, powering through some of these, these bad months and seeing if we can get to a Republican Congress to stave off the worst in, in 22, and we can go from there.
0: Yeah, well, it's funny you should mention that. And and we we will we'll touch on elections slightly in this conversation if you're willing to go there with me uh and, and oblige me. Uh but, you know, with 2022, I'm of the mindset that until we remedy 2020 uh in some form of an adjudicated fashion, right? I'm not talking about just, you know, a bunch of brouhaha on Twitter. I'm talking we're actually seeing people held accountable for things that are coming to light that you can actually quantify, right? They're not only qualified but they are quantified and it is and is something that needs to be adjudicated in a court of law it's hard for me to get excited about 2022 i know that really irks some people i'm more of a realist in that way uh but yes i i think that there's got to be a way and here and here's the thing for me personally my plumb line is the gospel my plumb line is the god of liberty which as i stated at the beginning of the show i believe he is the author and the finisher of this country I be- because I believe he's the author of liberty. So I believe that with people like yourself and others who are liberty-centric, that God is, is in the midst of that. Uh, in, in in whatever, you know, activities we're partaking of in this country. So I, so we will touch on elections, okay? But I, I want to, that seems so fundamentally, like you said, horrifying, right? Where, where we look at it and go, wow, so you've aborted uh, the majority of your base and now you're, um, you know, basically flooding our borders. And, and so, okay, fine. That's what's happening, right? But most people are like, well, what the heck can we do about it? because we've we've created we've crafted laws around policy and and I want to I want to go back let's back up just a little bit because I think it's time for a little bit of an education with regard to what a policy is and what policy does in in relation to laws would you mind breaking that down for us
1: Sure um, and I thank you for bringing this up Mark. it's very important I think one of the things that we have lost sight of as a country is who's actually in charge Sure. Um, and sometimes that's just because people are, uh, they, they you know, it's funny how you learn things over the years and you just accept certain things, but you never really question and you never really get to the bottom of what's really going on. Uh, so law, I'm, I'm an attorney too. I've been doing this for 20 years. And uh, it, what's really frustrating about the legal profession is it, it doesn't really acknowledge its limits. Lawyers like to be in charge of everything. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, the voters do control everything in this country, regardless of what a court says. So I think we've gotten into this place, you know, notwithstanding the fact that I mentioned the congressional election a minute ago. We'll talk about that later. Uh Congress is you know what, what happens at the federal level should be a little bit less important these days to us. I think this is an important message for for everyone who is at home with their head down and worried about the future. That the the action that you can take to save your your communities and your families and your friends are at the local level. Um if anything that, that we we've, we've been asleep for a while with local activity and look what happens. The, these very dangerous people take over your school boards and your boards of supervisors and your city councils, and you wake up one day and they're pushing insanity in every corner of your life. Uh, get that back. Go, go find a way to be part of the local solutions, and those are eventually going to be part of the state solutions, and then those are eventually going to be part of the federal solutions. Right. Um, to don't turn to Washington. Don't look to Washington. Look, if I could put it in like a blunter term for everyone who's who's like waiting for something to happen here. Like there's relief is not headed your way from this town, even if <laughs> right. things turn out well in 2022, right. because we're still not going to be in the white house. Right. So you are going to have to find your own solutions. And again, like so much happens at the local level that I don't think we appreciate how empower, how powerful and important it is. I mean, um, the American left supports millions of George Soros dollars into local school board races and yep. city council races. Why do mm-hmm. you think that is what's mm-hmm. important? Like, so we should, we should look at what they're doing and how much they're pouring into it, and respond in kind. And you know, if, right. if you're, if you don't do that, we're we're doomed already.
0: Ah, well, funny you should say respond in kind, right? Because I'm of the mindset that this, and I have been for years since I entered into the political space and realized what was going on and coming out of the world of the music industry as well as politics and ministry, you know, full-time ministry. And so putting all of that together in the same vat and you look at it and go, wow, it really is all interconnected. And this is guerrilla warfare you know th- this is straight up uh, put the stripes down under your you know across the bridge of your nose and understand that th- this we're going to walk five paces to the front and kneel in our perfectly pressed white and red outfits you know it's like come on guys it's like the, the the days of 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 reactionary politics you know is stuff that makes me crazy which is why i appreciate policy because you would think that that's kind of like a preemptive you know uh solution to to what could be coming down the pike and listen In that vein, I thought of something today before you came on in my prayer time, and I was like, you know, with regard to policy, and thank you for breaking that down for us, with regard to policy versus lawmaking, okay, I I kind of liken it as a songwriter, I think to myself, huh, am I writing about the world I long for and hope to see, or am I responding to the reality of the world around me. And I think it's a little bit of both, you know, it's like the chicken and the egg and which one comes first as as someone who creates music and and creates art. Am I reacting and responding to the, to the world around me or am I creating the world around me? And so with regard to policy, you know, that's how I, I see that. How, How do you, whenever you go about When you're sitting around a table with great minds and you're thinking about shaping policy, is it, is it, tell me this, because a lot of people listening to this show who may not be on the right, they may not be of a conservative persuasion. Tell me how America first policy is created with every American in mind.
1: I think the way we do it, and I can I can speak mostly to, to what my center does, but I think I can also speak for my colleagues who have a similar approach is we take a step back with everything and think, what is actually serving Americans? Um, what is American-centered, uh, citizen-centered? And, and what I find, and this is especially true, obviously, in the immigration space and homeland security space, what I find really remarkable, especially after four years in the belly of the beast, is how little of the U.S. government is actually geared towards serving the American people. I mean, it's kind of, it, it's not, it's shocking, but not shocking at the same mm-hmm. time. I, I mean, I always knew that government gets big and spends a lot of money. We all know that the numbers don't mean anything anymore because they're just so large and mind numbing. But um, I, I really walked out of the federal four years of federal service with the sad lesson that the vast majority of the federal government is geared toward spending the American people's money yeah. on bad people at home sure. and bad people abroad. Sure. there's, little consequence for spending no one really asks um, any hard questions about whether or not we should be doing it it's not even geared toward making sure that you know if we give money to a foreign country it's not even geared toward making sure they're on our side on issues right. we just give right. them billions of dollars and if you look at a federal bureaucrat and say well shouldn't we be getting something out of this I look at you like you have lobsters crawling out of your
0: ears right um, right it's
1: just insane so it's sad but it's true um, and we, just one quick thing, I think the, you said great minds before. Honestly, I think it's just dedicated, honest people who, sure. who have a, a, an America first view. And I, I encourage, this is part of the problem, I think, in Washington, there are just too many corrupt people who live here for way too long. Right. Um, and, and I hope if Republicans are ever allowed to win an election again, that um, all of you who are listening want to be part of it. And I think we should find a way to make that happen, because right. the, I'd rather have 100 people who live in real America than than 10 um D C Swamp Alligators. It's really, really sure. better for the Republic.
0: Yeah, and it and as and as hyperbolic as Drain the Swamp became, um, it's it's actually true. And there's a you know, the interview with Nancy Pelosi from oh my gosh, probably twenty five years ago, I forget who it was. Um, it wasn't Diane Sawyer, but someone some along those lines. And um and she said, you know, I'm I'm here to drain the swamp and I thought, Well, isn't that interesting? <laughs> I mean, Nancy knew it was a swamp back then. President Trump makes it, you know, a, a banner uh, over his presidency, which is true, drain the swamp. And yet here we are. And I, and I think, God bless him, there's a part of me, you know, if I'm ever, if I ever have an opportunity to stand on a tee box with him, I just want to be like, sir, I know you knew it was a swamp, but did you anticipate the hairball and the drain and just how mangled and soapy it is right because because uh, I honestly, John like I, I'm not sure he did you know I, I think because he's a businessman he's a visionary he's a mover and a shaker and a doer and he loves this country and always has. And as someone who's been in politics, you know I hear from candidates when I consult with new candidates they're always shocked at how nasty it is you know and I'm like, you guys. It's politics. It's not even about governing. It's politicking. It's many ticks. There are many bloodsuckers. And so there's a part of me that just wonders, you know, if kind of not naively, but just earnestly, you know, I wonder if President Trump just thought, hey, this is something that we can overcome and and we can drain it. Right. But it was going to take a little bit longer than four years. And so I'm still praying we get another shot at draining it. Now, listen, going back to the guerrilla warfare, uh, and that those are my words because I believe you do have to you have to um, attack policy and law and the adjudication thereof, like the left does. you have to you have to think in terms of no, I've got the ball, and you're not going to uh, I'm not going to fumble right and, and you're not going to intercept which is how we play this game. And they pick up the goalposts and continue to move them down the field. And then we stand there and, 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 you know, hold ourselves in complete awe that someone actually just took our ball in the entire game from us. And then we're, you know, we're always behind the curve. So with regard to immigration in states, I want to back up to a little bit of, you know, this mantra going on right now of, hey, it's time for some civil disobedience. Right. I think back to our great civil rights forefathers, uh Martin Luther King Jr. and civil disobedience, peaceful protest. We see now that even that is being uh weaponized uh against the American citizen. If you show up for something, you know, you've got false flags, galores, uh, galore is a possibility. So now people are scared and they're staying home uh en masse. But what are the state's rights with regard to dropping immigrants off in the middle of the night?
1: So the, I'm glad you brought this up because states have way more power than we've all been allowed to think over the last few years. And it's, unfortunately, it's a combination of several factors, one of which is um, there are a lot of people, even people who are consider themselves to be conservatives or Republicans or small government-minded, who have fallen into this mold that the only thing that matters is what happens at the federal level, what happens in Washington. It couldn't be more, more toxic and further from the truth. Um, it, we, we need to get back to a a state sovereignty focused view of our country um i you know i have, i've been advocating for a while that we we get back to a state sovereignty renaissance where we realize that states have way more power than the federal government wants them to know yes. and that um the the mainstream media want them to express but states have a lot of authority so in immigration for example um uh i think you're seeing some of it uh, along the border states where uh s- several of the republican governors well i guess there are two have have seen to it that they've taken some steps. Other states have put their national guards on the line to help um, control some portions of those borders. Uh, Governor Abbott, in Texas is pushing to build a wall where the federal government failed to finish the wall and uh, things like that. Um, Don't forget these governors and and the attorneys general in these states and other law enforcement, public officials, they have independent constitutional obligations to protect their citizens. And so, Right. Sometimes you see them step forward, some shrug and say, well, it's not my job. They should probably not be in office. Um, But the ones who do understand their constitutional obligations are the ones who are taking steps to provide for the public. And there is other stuff that could be done. For example, one of the biggest problems we have in the the immigration space is what um, one of the draws we call the pull factors, the things that draw people to the country illegally. So there's no other country on the face of the earth where you could just walk in have free reign of the place, get sure. a driver's license, get a job, and have no, get tax rebates and have <laughs> right. zero repercussion for your illegal presence. Right. right. But again, this gets back to why is that allowed to happen? It's allowed to happen because people want it to happen, because they want people to be here for a critical mass for amnesty. Right. Um, but no other country is even remotely that generous. And so we can get at the state level back to eliminating some of these pull factors. Now, you just, what you need are states who are willing to step forward and do these things. It's like you said, to Monica, about the whole – by the way, I love the – I think of it the same way. I've joked with friends, like, we're the British standing there in lines <laughs> and columns with firing one shot at a time. Yes. And then, like, the Democrats come out of the woods with machetes Thank and you. they attack us all. We wonder why we lose.
0: <laughs> right. So,
1: like, I, I love the, the, the analogy, um, but uh, we have people on our side who are either um, not smart, not adventurous or secretly right. Democrats because they're always oh, trying to God. prevent us from taking steps to solve problems. Yes. I, I think for the for the Marvel comic universe fans out there in your audience, I feel like the Republican Party is run by Hydra. <laughs> so like yes. we never we, we we never like go back and try and fix something when we lose a battle. That's right. Right. So for example, in the 1980s, there were a handful of Supreme Court cases that said states can't do certain things. One of them, for example, is a case that prevented. Uh, local school districts from prohibiting illegal alien children from being educated in public schools with state funds. Um, The other was the one that happened actually much more recently um, when Arizona tried to deny driver's license access to illegal aliens in the Supreme Court, but John Roberts came back and said, no, you can't do that. Well, states need to keep trying. Uh, and, And quite frankly, to some degree, I also don't think necessarily that the federal courts have jurisdiction over those issues. It really requires state leadership saying, "You know what? We're in charge here. This is our space. These are our tax dollars. These That's are right. our citizens." And thanks for your input.
0: Sure. Um, well, I think and I think, we've, we've I think all- if you had more, I think if you had more um, of our of our states who were not on the take, uh, quite honestly, I, and I live in Georgia, by the way, uh, so you're right. Our our party is hashtag Move On. Right, and, and and so they're not willing to stop and 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 remedy, you know, what what just occurred. It's hashtag move on, uh, and you cannot move on from these things because they're uh, they're they're rudimentary, kind of in the building blocks of rebuilding anything in the infrastructure that's just been annihilated. I say just been, but like you said, this has been many 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 years in the making. But sure, I think you know if you if you look around at who's got their hand out for for instance. My beloved governor, Brian Kemp, uh, has has said that he would open armed to he will welcome the people that are sent here by the federal government Uh, in the same out of the same mouth. We just saw him down at the border. Uh, you know, doing his job and due diligence to see what's really going on down at the border. And I thought, well, are you down there with your handout? I mean, are you trying to, you know, is this like, and this is just my little riff. This is, You don't have to jump in the middle of this, John, but this is just me where it's like, I see this around the country where people are riding two horses with one ass, excuse the expression, but it's true. And as Republicans, we do it consistently. We do it very well And because Republicans historically clutch our pearls. And uh, and we do it, you know, at an RNC level on down. We clutch our pearls, and um, and we're not willing to roll up our sleeves and get dirty with the average American. What is an average American, right? We're all trying to pay our bills, abide by the laws, raise our kids, you know, pay our taxes, do the right thing, you know, love our neighbors. And speaking of loving your neighbor, uh, that's where I think the left really has a leg up on us because. They use things, you even, you used a term just a moment ago and I wrote it down because it it jumped out at me. No other country on earth has the generous, uh, you know, open armed approach Right? They're not as generous with, with their borders. And, and that was a very good uh, term to use. It's, it's valid. But you know what? Uh, all the people who believe that Jesus was a refugee, uh, they believe their pastors who are like, well, it's part of our obligation as the wealthiest nation on earth to allow anyone and everyone to come here. They've even bastardized, you know, the, the mantra of the Statue of Liberty, for God's sake. So it's like nothing is held sacred in terms of order, order. We live in a completely disordered society at the moment. We see that with sexuality, biology, science, you name it. And so I see it as, you know, the ultimate war between God and Satan for sure. And we see it flushing out in this manner, but generous. You're right. Listen, my mother's German. I would arrive in Germany to visit my relatives as a child uh, nearly every summer, to machine guns and German shepherds. <laughs> so it wasn't like, welcome, Americans. It was, uh, welcome, you know, and get over there on your line and let us see your passports, right? I mean, there was a sense of, hey, this is our country, and you're not coming in without us knowing exactly who you are, why you're here, and how long you're staying. And if you overstay your welcome, we will come find you. And so as Americans, I almost feel like, you know, God and our Christian, our Judeo-Christian principles have been used against us. Would you agree with that? I, I,
1: I think you're a hundred percent right, Monica. In fact, I really do find it interesting that it's the, the, you know, uh, atheist status to have used our faiths against us in, in this way. Like they've, they've turned the cannons on our, on us. And yes. uh, I, I, I see this in, you know, we see this in every facet of life where we're told that we need to be more caring and more compassionate. And yet it's the left's policies that wind up leaving people in yeah. economic tatters and, right. and in other dire straits. Right. Um, you know, in immigration in particular, I think it's just a red herring to say that we're not generous and we need to do more. The United States is, is the most without <laughs> right. equivocation. Right. The most generous country on the face of the earth when it comes to immigration. And sure. that's for both, permanent immigration, but also humanitarian relief. So this is one thing that drives me bonkers, because I spent four years working on this with uh, lots of socialists and bureaucrats in the federal government, along with some weak politicals, right. where we, we kept having people say, well, we've got to let a lot of refugees in, and we've got to let a lot of refugees in. And we still probably let in more than most countries do, but we also have to balance that with the total humanitarian picture, right? So for, we've got, um, we're required by law to process anyone who comes to the United States and seeks asylum. Okay. And so that's hundreds of thousands of people basically it's 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 been a large number for years, partly because of poor management of the federal government before the trump administration and um you, you know you can't just look at the, the people say they want a high refugee ceiling and we have to let people who need relief in well yeah, we do have a we do have a commitment to humanitarianism, but you've got to look at it in the context of the hundreds of thousands of other asylum applicants that we have to deal with
0: that's right so
1: if you you also have to make sure you're not letting in dangerous people so during the Obama years, he his, he was setting re- annual refugee ceilings of 11 bajillion, and that's great. Except yeah. what that does is that forces the bureaucracy to push people through quickly to hit the, the number. That's right. Um, because they were definitely pushing them through. Oh, and by the way, the people who were doing the screening and vetting are also the ones who screen and vet the asylum seekers. <laughs> so that's why we have a hundred thousand. I forget the exact number, but it's a monstrous backlog of asylum cases because. They're not being addressed because Obama wanted to look good and let in a lot of refugees. Right, Um, And we we looked at the whole thing together and said, look, this is the total capacity we have. This is the pace we need to do to make sure we're actually not letting dangerous people in the country. It's still hundreds of thousands of people when you take a step back and look at it. And that's just the way it is. And people went apoplectic. But something I want to put on your radar, Monica, and I think your audience has probably already come across this, is you should also not be fooled into thinking that there is altruism at the heart of the refugee resettlement calls. These organizations that push for it, the domestic refugee resettlement organizations, they make money hand over fist. Uh, Catholic Charities is one of the biggest fraudulent organizations out there because they purport to be caring about people, but they make a per capita income benefit for the number of refugees that they bring into the country and they can resettle under their auspices. Wow. So these organizations actually got really close to violating federal law during the Trump administration because they kept coming in lobbying for high numbers. Um, you're not supposed to lobby for something that benefits you financially in that direct well, way. Well, isn't that like a little bit like
0: trafficking? I mean, at some point, you know, it's like, where where do you cross the line, especially if they come into the country and then where do they go? <laughs>
1: I, I don't think it's like trafficking, Monica. I think it is. It is.
0: Right. It's <laughs> right.
1: It's federally approved and subsidized trafficking to some degree. And by the way, well, one other thing too, that I think is was always interesting is there, there are a lot of people who want to be humanitarians. And I understand that. I think I agree. Like, sure. we, we can let certain people who are not dangerous and who want to be part of this country and who need a little help come to this country. Right. But, what was always interesting to me is these resettlement organizations always found themselves in places with giant food processing plants, sure. like in Amarillo, Texas, where they had a Tyson's factory. Right. The reason they wanted refugees there was not because they cared about them. It was because they wanted a cheap foreign labor force that wasn't going to complain when they were forced to work more than legal hours. Wow. In a way, it was really sort of a manipulation Almost, you could say, almost like human trafficking. You know, we give the Chinese a hard time for slave labor, but it happens here too. Absolutely. um, But under the the auspices of humanitarian relief. So, People should take a harder look at these organizations that are making a lot of money off of these refugee
0: admissions. That's good to know. That's good to know. Okay, so tell us about this. So I'm reading where I sent, and you're an attorney, so I need your help on this. So I'm reading where ICE and, and Border Patrol have been directed to no longer apprehend migrants that are not on America's most wanted list, whatever that is. And what should the, what should the response be? Um, uh, legally, of a government- entity who's being told by their hierarchy to no longer execute the law. How can ICE respond to this? You know, I think of it in terms of military hierarchy, where it's like if someone if I'm a subordinate, someone gives me an order that goes against the law. You know, my, my, my role is to not abide by that order. Where does ICE or Border Patrol, um, you know, where does their purview begin and end with regard to lawless orders coming down from the top?
1: Well, this is a very tough question because the, you, you, at the end of the day, this is sort of the, the one part of the executive branch that it's difficult. to. You can't manage it from the outside. There's no magic bullet legislation you can pass to make them exert leadership or require that laws be followed. Um, and that's the hard part. There's no external control. It is an executive branch function. So with, with, what we encountered is we, we met quite a few really good men and women inside uh, the immigration components the DHS. All dedicated, all just wanted to do their job. Um, m- many actually did care about the mission of national security, protecting the homeland. It wasn't a game for them, and it wasn't political in any way, shape, or form. They just wanted to do their jobs. What we enc- what we realized is that, that there were a lot of people embedded in the leadership chains in these organizations who were not good or effective. Uh, and the problem is when when an administration like this takes over, the 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 you know the The bureaucratic wheels that ground to a halt and we were in charge start getting greased up and flowing and doing whatever they want, right? Right. So it's hard to do do anything about this from the outside. Honestly, and I don't say this lightly, I think we really need to take a hard look in the future about um, examining civil or criminal charges for people who are not executing federal law when they leave office. Yes. I think uh, this is one of the problems I think we've had historically with our government, which is that people come in, and it's usually Democrats, they come in they ignore the law. They break the law. They flaunt the law, and then they walk out, and there are no repercussions. Yes. And they sign a three million dollar book deal. That's right. Um, if someone's not executing the law, if they, their gross negligence results in injury or harm or death to people, there should be criminal charges. The next administration's Department of Justice should swing in and indict some people. And if, I, I'm not. I do, for emphasis, I do not encourage charges against people who have not committed crimes. Of course, because um, that's unethical. Uh, but I do encourage those charges to be investigated and pursued were possible and if you want to prevent people from ignoring the law in the future that's the way you do it you make it clear that laws will be followed and if you do not execute the laws there will be repercussions the idea that the people who break laws when they run government are untouchable is part of our problem
0: absolutely one hundred thousand percent agree with you i'm old enough to remember when we thought the people who kept chanting um uh, what was it, uh, term limits, okay, any candidate who came to me with like term limits and what was the other one, uh, campaign finance reform, okay, we thought those were kind of the fringe candidates because no one really cared about that. Everyone just wanted to deal with the problem of the day because like most of our elections, you know, we do not have a 100-year vision for this country. We have a four-year election cycle vision and that is the extent of our vision, which is really sad because our enemies have at least hundred year visions for the takeover and the, in the demise of this nation. And so as we see happening right now, but now, you know, my, well, my mantra for the past eight years has been, you know, we need term limits in campaign finance reform. And I just think between C4s, uh, you know, all of those things where people can hide their money, they're cross-pollinating from countries to uh, states, you know, and again, guerrilla warfare. I've encouraged my Republican counterparts to get busy and start sending money across states to various candidates who they find are America first and who are actually America first candidates uh, because politics are no longer local. Um, I believe you can remedy a lot of things. Like you said, I totally agree with you that things should be at a county. You know, if people knew how powerful their sheriffs were, it would shock them. You know, and I'm like, get busy with your sheriffs, like hunker down in your cities, your towns, your counties uh, and branch out to your state, you know, and really hold the line in terms of sovereignty goes as far as your states go. And speaking along those lines, OK, you reside in the Commonwealth of Virginia and you've seen firsthand, you know, some of the outrageous practices of school boards gone wild uh, with regard to you know CRT, uh, masks and vaccine mandates and where our children are concerned It appears that the Biden Department of Justice or Department of Injustice, as I affectionately refer to them, has now been weaponized against parents. Uh, who are constitutionally protected to sound off at a, at a, you know, in a peaceful protest to, Hey, this is my kid. You are an elected board. Uh, I don't agree with your policies and, and what you're quote mandating. Again, people seem to think that mandates are laws. Uh, So what are you seeing in Virginia and what in the world is all of this about with trying to, you know, hold our kids hostage from us?
1: it's It's insane, Monica. I live in Prince William County in Virginia, and uh, it's one of the the counties where the Marxists have definitely overtaken the school board and they've created a bit of a disaster and actually uh, i was i don't know if anyone on listening it lives in Prince William County, but I was at the September fifteenth school board meeting, wow. which was one of the most alien feeling things in the entire world. Like, I've grown up in the United States my entire life i I love this country I've never felt like I was in a a place where tyranny was on the edge of happening until that night. It it was the strangest thing, and I can't go through the whole experience with the board that that night, but basically they used COVID as an excuse to keep a lot of people out of the room, and they had a lot of uh, local security guards with masks on saying, I'm just doing what I'm told, which I'm pretty sure was the defense used at Nuremberg, Right, Um, and then the The school board refused to come in because parents wanted the meeting to start, and they were hiding in the back, and I'll tell you why they were hiding in the back in a second. And then uh, a group of parents, so I, you know, a bunch of us were just milling around trying to get in, and we couldn't get in. The parents spontaneously, in the room, spontaneously broke into the national anthem, which I thought was amazing. Within 60 seconds, though, the meeting, the school board adjourned the meeting and canceled the meeting. They declared the parents in that room to be a public safety threat.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: I felt like I was in a communist country yes. that night, Monica, and the reason they were hiding and they didn't want to come out and they didn't want to hear parents, they suspended. They ultimately did come out at like 11 o'clock at night, suspended comments from the audience. But that was also the night that they voted in the, literally in the dark of night um, to impose a vaccine mandate on the public school teachers in Prince William County. Uh, and my, my understanding is they're, they're giving a lot of these teachers until November 1st to get the vaccine or they'll be fired. This is outrageous. Yeah. Uh, and I, I have a funny feeling this is happening in other counties in the Commonwealth as well. Um, but, you know, this is why local is so important. These people walk in and they think you work for them instead of the other way around, which yep. is the way it's supposed to be. Yep. And uh, parents have finally realized that. And all of a sudden democracy is a threat. I've always, I really, I've been a Monica. I think we need to find a new name for the democratic party because <laughs> there's just nothing democratic about it. I don't know, like, Demographic, demagogic—I don't know. Yeah, like, like it's like that.
0: It's—it's
1: <laughs> it's just not. There's nothing small D democratic about this party anymore. So right. they've discovered that when opposition is strong and you can win, that it becomes a threat. And um, th- this whole thing you mentioned yeah. regarding the Department of Justice—I mean, I, I don't usually say this, but I think we owe Mitch McConnell a, a round of applause for preventing that um, very dangerous man, Merrick Garland, from not being on the Supreme Court. Right. Um, yeah, um, we're still
0: contending with him now, but <laughs> you're right. It was not for life.
1: At, at least it's not for life. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so, uh, the, what the Department of Justice has done, I can't think of anything more un American than weaponizing the Department of Justice to intimidate parents yes. into exerting local control over That's government. Right. I, I would note, too, I, I looked into that letter that the National School Boards Association sent to the Department of Justice. Uh, first of all, I went and looked into the stories that they cited in the letter, and there were a couple instances of instances where parents may have done something inappropriate. Sure. There may have been some violence or a threat of violence, and no one's advocating for that. Right. But there was also completely speech-based conduct. So that's just too darn bad if you are yeah. uncomfortable. Like, the, the essence of the First Amendment is to make political leaders uncomfortable. Right. Like The First Amendment is not about art. It's about political discourse and saying what you want and not having repercussions for saying those things as long as you're not hurting someone. That's right. And the left can't win in an environment where parents are angry and fired up and want control of their kids' education. They can't. Right. Um, And that's why they have to call the Department of Justice and turn us all to domestic terrorists. So I can tell you that the moms out where I live are pretty fired up about all this.
0: Good. Well, the moms here where I live are fired up about it as well. And i tell you what's really sad is that I, I, I have a lot of parents uh, who have come to me recently from private schools here in Georgia and they pay an exorbitant amount of money for their children to, you know, I guess effectively now, uh, be indoctrinated, which the parents up to now have not, um, they, apparently they, they weren't aware of the 1619 project, different things being taught and kind of like, you know, filtered in like little drips out of an IV bag into their child's brain um over the past, you know, many years actually in extracting certain, uh, you know, traditions uh, and uh, and classics, you know, literature classics and whatnot, actual history. Uh, these things have all been altered. And I got to tell you something, that's really fascinating. I'm not sure that my listeners are aware of this um, and maybe you are, but one of my friends has, has traced, you know, I always say follow the money. And so she's traced uh, the majority of the CRT of all of this craziness, uh, that, you know, the, the really hate America, you know, America last, all this stuff, America non-greatness, you know, uh, no exceptionalism allowed, all indigenous people day, you know, all this stuff. We got to apologize for all things America. Slavery, you know, never ended, all of that mess. And so um, she discovered that it is through the accreditation of outlets that these basically these uh, school board-wide mandates from state to state are coming down and the accreditation outlets are funded by (laughs) none other than our resident globalists uh, such as Soros. And so when you start following the money trail to that, you're like, oh, Well, that makes perfect sense because if your school is held hostage for accreditation standards by, you know, a mothership that is completely globalist in nature, then it makes perfect sense that they would dictate exactly what your curriculum is going to be and naturally they would weaponize uh, your DOJ and against the parents. And so, you know, I have that same friend just received a letter from her private school um, and these folks were always left in the dark because they say, well, you're a private school. You choose to spend $30,000 to send your kid there. So, you know, suck it up, buttercup. The rest of us are in government schools and we're going to take them on, you know, through our appropriate measures. With regard to the private school sector, these parents feel like they have no voice whatsoever and have been told um, that they're no longer allowed on campus other than to pick their child up because they've, you know, sat down with the headmasters and whatnot and said, hey, we're not happy about my child um, having to refer to other children outside of a biological personal pronoun, That has become words of terror. You said something that some people are going to think is funny or hyperbolic when you referred to domestic terrorists. But fun fact, ladies and gentlemen, if you will go to DHS.org or .com, whatever it is, you will probably find yourself listed in the top three uh, terror possibilities as it pertains to domestic terrorism here in the United States. I certainly fit the bill because I'm conservative. I question the 2020 election. I'm Christian, and I happen to believe in borders. And that is tyranny beyond my own comprehension. So thank you for sharing that experience. I know Loudoun County has had massive issues. I'm going to pivot quickly before I let you go today because this has been, I wanted this to be a, a an informative conversation in one you know, where you're you're, you're in the muck and in the mire and you have been and you've had your sleeves rolled up for years and, and you've seen it, uh, you know, from all the 360 degree view that most of us don't have. And so there are laws in place. There are laws that are not being honored in, in a multitude of facets in this country right now in the government. And I wanted also to bring you on to have a casual conversation to just talk with my audience about, hey, there are things that you can still be hopeful about about. You do need to stand on your sovereignty within your states and your counties. Don't back down. You know, the Bible says to submit yourself to God and to resist the devil and he will flee, right? And so if God is the God of liberty and we have the constitution of liberty, it is incumbent. If you want to, if you want to live by a mandate, here's a mandate to live by, in my humble opinion, you stand on that constitution no matter what. And it may cost you, it may cost you your job, it may cost you your reputation, your safety. Some of you, it could cost you your lives. It has our men and women in uniform. So it's, you know, God said we were going to be persecuted as his children, Per Period. End of story. Um, and we see that we are in, um, in an, in an, in a, in another era of persecution for the American. And I just feel like it's incumbent for us to stand with regard to, uh, elections. Okay. I have friends. I was part of Virginians for America first, um, back in before, right as you guys. And Virginia got the website set up, uh stood up. And uh uh Bishop Leon Benjamin is a friend of mine. I know he's running for Congress, ran for Congress last time. He just texted me the other night from the border, he's like, It's crazy. Like the borders it's wide open. Like people are just coming in. Whatever they're reporting, don't believe it because it's this is nuts. And I thought, well, of course it is. And then we talked about what's happening there with your elections and how you guys are legitimately ground zero for basically what the hell. I'm serious. Like I can't say it any other way. Where I look at your laws in Virginia and your your election lack of integrity laws and I go, how did this happen? No voter ID. Uh now apparently they're trying to push through in one of your counties where there's no signature um verification uh, so apparently that's racist for absentee ballots uh all driven by a COVID narrative. And so what what in the world? How do you see this faring in Virginia for uh, Yunkin?
1: Well, uh, Monica, you touched on a lot of what's going on in Virginia. In some ways, it gets back all the way to what you mentioned at the beginning regarding being optimistic and silver linings. I actually, I live in Prince William County in Virginia, which is part of the, the D.C. metastasy of Northern Virginia. Uh, and yet, it doesn't, there's a lot of optimism about the future in the, in the state. I mean, I, I I'm speaking for myself, but sure. not not ICI, but myself, which is that I I think Glenn is going to win, and I sure hope he does. I mean, if you care about like your children and education and parents' rights and public safety, then they really have no choice but to vote for Glenn Youngkin.
0: Yeah, um, I apologize. But, that uh, was not meant. That I, was not meant to. I was not seeking an endorsement. So I apologize for that. Uh, but uh, but yeah, he is no, the candidate I, that I align with the most with regard to Virginia. So that's why I asked. He,
1: he, yeah, I, and I me too and I tell you I I he's I've watched him he has stood up for parents rights he understands what's at stake and I, I watched the the other very dangerous human being Terry McAuffle, uh, who is uh he's you know an incumbent so he's got a record which is right. bad and people are noticing and I think that the the silver lining I'm I'm getting at is that I think when you see what they're doing in Fairfax County that's the county where they decided they were they were asking uh, Governor Northam uh, to uh, waive the signature requirement for the absentee right. ballot verif- verification. You don't do that when you think you're going to win it hands down exactly. uh, in some ways. Um, and I, I see the people in the state who are furious. In fact, I, I know people who aren't Republicans, who are just, they're done. They're, they're done. They don't, you don't live in Fairfax County or Loudoun County or Arlington County yeah. um, to have your kids have a terrible school system. Right. right, you pay through the nose. So, like a, a lot of these people who are not necessarily aligned with you and me, it sure. doesn't matter. They want their kids in school. They want their kids educated, right. and uh, you know, they they can already people can already sense that if if McAuliffe wins the day after the election, they're going to put kids back into virtual again, which was a, a an educational and <sighs> uh, socioeconomic disaster sure. for a lot of kids in Virginia. Of course, so um, I, I see a silver lining. I think people are done. I think, and this is a, this gets back to the issue of. Winning at the local level, yep. winning at the state level, fighting for those things, not giving up, not looking to Washington for everything and actually sort of not caring. Like, I think localities and states need to just do their own thing and fight for what they want in their communities and, and just keep at it. And then we'll see what happens later. But don't it, I just, it just worries me when people look to Washington. Oh, yeah. And Like you said, I agree with you regarding what happened last year and, and the things that need to be fixed. You, you can win all the hearts and minds in the world. But if you can't have a free and fair election, none of it matters. That's right. So I think you're starting to see that. Even in Virginia, I think people are... They recognize some of the mistakes that have been made, and they're trying their best to fix them, and we'll, we'll see what happens over the next couple of years in that space in Virginia and beyond.
0: Right. Well, John, thank you so much. You have just been such a joy and and very informative and, and definitely brought us you know information, knowledge, wisdom, hope, all of the things that I wanted, and I definitely want to have you back on because I want to talk about – I want to I want to dive a little further into the ramifications because we know there's a problem with immigration. We, we've spent the past hour talking about it. So we know there's a problem, you know, a blind, deaf, and dumb and mute person and can see all of that and and even people on the left see that too because i'm i'm hearing it from folks that are like this is ridiculous you know whenever you look at people who already feel like they're disenfranchised whether it's the minorities in the country and now they see where programs and 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 assistance and other things are, are going to start to shift they're like hey wait a minute. You know, we're not willing to share a piece of the pie with people who are not even from here legally, who do not need to be here. So I think what we're seeing is a is a galvanization really of people who are finally starting to see, whoa, 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 whoa wait a minute, this is no longer America First really does mean that, you know, we care for each other first. And so I'm hoping that all this lawlessness will just bring us together. Uh, even further. And I am seeing that happen from vaccine mandates through BLM and other organizations are like, this is crazy. We don't agree with this crap either. Uh, you know, joint holding hands with people on the right who are historically against, you know, uh, things that BLM stands for. But we have actually found common ground on one thing. So that's fine. And that one thing is very important. So I want to bring you back on to talk about, you know, we're seeing supply chain issues right now. And I believe that (laughs) we are just at the beginning, the tip of that iceberg with regard to supply chains. And how does immigration affect that? How are we going to feed all of these people? How are we going to feed ourselves, you know, in the coming days? How are we going to supply for our needs here, uh, you know, outside of miracles happening? And how does immigration and all of that affect us in that space? And so I want to bring you back on in the future. Uh, You're welcome here anytime. God bless you and your efforts. Thank you so much for your transparency, for your candor, you know, just being um, very candid with us. I, I know my audience appreciates that and you're welcome here anytime, sir.
1: God bless you, Monica. Thank you for having me on. I really had a great time.
0: Thank you. Talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. All right, guys. So, you know, again, we, we've just spent the past um, hour, you know, just a little less than an hour discussing things that affect you and it affects me and ultimately it does affect the world. Uh, you can see. I just had a gentleman tweet to me uh, with regard to my barometer, you know, that I put out this morning asking, where are you all in this conversation and why aren't you engaging with questions for my guest Because this is so important. And yes, I know I'm throttled on Twitter. I get all of that and shadow banned and all that brouhaha. But ultimately I normally have hundreds of responses and what I have been feeling I believe is accurate and I'm sad to report that because um, I'm sad and I'm also encouraged in that. I hope that my show is always a space where you are encouraged because this is not the time, even though that barometer shows me that you're tired and I get that I'm tired too. I get tired, but you guys encourage me, you refresh my courage. When I see your struggles, when I see your passion, when I see your anger, right? When I see your frustrations and I see your joy and your victories and I see your lives online, uh, it gives and I, your messages, right? Your prayers, all those things encourage me. So if you're listening to people, if you're following people, who do not encourage you, but they just continue to drop the bomb of the day on you of what's not happening that should be happening, but they're not encouraging you. Please do yourself a favor. This is not a plug for me at all. This is because I love you and I need you. I need you to be okay in your spirit and in your mind. Because you're going to have to be able to make sober decisions. Please do me a favor. Turn those people off. Unfollow them. Start to guard your ear gates and your eye gates. Those are very valuable, right? God says for us to guard our hearts and to guard our minds. And so with this type of information, you know... That there there's that there's a there's an undergirding of law that is simply not being observed and one of my my friends across the pond said to me hey Monica I'm, I just read today where your Constitution has been suspended and I was like well uh, if you're asking in theory yes that's pretty obvious no one seems to be abiding by the Constitution but just because someone's not here's your encouragement I'm going to leave you with this. Just because someone is not abiding by the law does not mean the law doesn't exist. Okay. And it doesn't mean that the law won't be observed at some point in time, because if you believe that we serve the God of justice, you have to know that he's not going to hold back his justice for any great length of time because that's not who he is. He absolutely hears our cries and he hears our prayers. So I want to encourage you to continue to pray regarding the sovereignty of our borders and that those borders would raise and that more men and women would step forward and that partisanship would be be at least suspended for this moment in time for us to be able to come together collectively and secure our borders as a nation, to secure life, right? To secure liberty and to, to secure equality and everyone's ability to pursue that happiness or property, even, right? We see, and I, as I understand it, the original terminology or language of verbiage of that was, you know, uh, in the pursuit of property. But with that, we even see where that is under attack in this nation where we're getting to a point where there are a few who want to take your uh, right, your constitutional right to pursue, right, the apprehension of your ability to own, to have ownership. So don't abdicate your ownership. John just spent an hour telling us, wonderful, wonderful encouragement. Do not, abdicate or capitulate with regard to your jurisdiction. Okay. God gave you this land. You were birthed in this land or you came here legally to be a part of the beautiful fabric of this country. And this land needs you. I need you to be sober minded, to be emotionally stable And to have your eyes wide open as to what's going on. And get involved on the local and the state level. And we will be back with you tomorrow. Thank you for joining me. Again, you can uh, check out John's bio, which is very impressive. Mr. John Zadrosny. He is at americafirstpolicy.com. You can go to see what they do. Support their efforts. Uh, Yeah. Oh Man, God is so good. I love you guys. Have a great day. Have a great day. Be encouraged. This is the day the Lord has made. (laughs) We're supposed to be joyful and glad in it and rejoice in it and all that good stuff. Okay. Be good to your neighbor, beginning in your own mirror. And remember, if you're an American, it's time to act like one.